You may turn in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. Notice I didn't specify a passage. We're going to be covering all 31 chapters here this morning. So buckle up, buttercup. We are, we are ready to go. Actually, we're right in the middle of a series we're calling Five Weeks of Wisdom. We've been preaching through the Gospel of John, but we're taking a, taking a small break here, diving, diving into um, some rich Old Testament proverbial wisdom from God. And, and we're about three weeks in. And just to remind us what we're doing here, remind us what we're doing. We're, we know that God's Word is perfect. It is true. It is right in all its ways. All its ways are just. But we know this world is, is crooked, we know that we are, we are not straight arrows. We, we have sin. And so a lot of times it's really complex to know how to apply God's perfect truth in an imperfect world. See, there's, there, there's certain things in God's word that are super duper clear. You know, do not murder. Do not lie. Do not commit adultery. Worship the Lord your God and Him alone. And, and that, there doesn't have to be a context for those things. We, we know they're true wherever they are. But there's other things that God's Word, let's just say, is less clear about. It's more proverbial. God, God's Word gives us more like what we would call parameters or principles. It, doesn't tell, it, it tells us the kind of person to marry, but not exactly who to marry. The Bible, the Bible gives us principles about how we're to work, but not necessarily what kind of job we're supposed to take or what career we're supposed to pursue. It, it tells us things about educating our minds and our hearts, but it doesn't tell us exactly where to go to school. And so all of these things that we're called to wrestle through with between us and God and his word, this is, this is an area that we call wisdom. Now, biblical wisdom is not... Is, is, is very, very different than what we would kind of call homespun wisdom or common sense, something you would find in Poor Richard's Almanac or the Wikipedia if you found accurate information there at all. Kids, don't write your, news, write your, your, your term papers from there. Biblical wisdom is an entirely different thing. You see, biblical wisdom is fundamentally a spiritual issue. You see, we believe that the Lord made the earth and all that's in it. Psalm 24 tells us this. And because God is the great designer, he's the great creator, it would make sense since he's the one who's designed and created that he knows best how we should live our lives. That he knows a little bit more about this living thing, this art of living, than we do. And so because of that, we always have to begin with a posture towards God that says, God, I belong to you. We belong to you. My family belongs to you. My church belongs to you. My money belongs to you. The world belongs to you. And because of that, I have to begin with a fundamental um, submission to you and to your word in order to begin to make sense of how to order my life. And so that's sort of some of the things that Pastor Josh, Pastor Scott were hitting on over these past couple of weeks. But today I want to take a little pivot here. And come at this from a different direction and talk about what Solomon says in Proverbs is the great obstacle to that kind of living. The great obstacle to wisdom. The great obstacle to spiritual flourishing. And you could think in your own minds, what, what are the greatest obstacles to, to me having a happy life? 
if I only had more money or if I only had this kind of relationship or, or if I only was able to do this thing or this person would change or that person would change. And Solomon says it's none of those things that are the greatest obstacle to living a life set apart before God in wisdom. The most difficult thing about living a life set apart for God based in wisdom is this thing that Solomon calls foolishness. Now, while we were gone over the past three weeks, I was reading through the, the, the Proverbs and making notes, and, and here was what, something that was, that was incredibly striking that I just, I never knew the full impact until I really studied this a little more in-depthly. This idea of foolishness, or more specifically, the person who embodies foolishness, who Solomon calls the fool, the fool is mentioned no less than 71 times in the book of Proverbs. 71 times Solomon talks about this person, the fool. Now, some of these are, are dead serious and some of these are humorous. Here, here's, some of my, here's some of the humorous ones that, are, that I particularly like. Proverbs 17, 21. And think about this. Think about this, dads. He who sires a fool gets himself sorrow. And the father of a fool has no joy. A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. God help us, right? Proverbs 17, 12, let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. So in other words, Solomon said, I'd rather wrestle a grizzly bear than deal with a fool. Proverbs 26, 11, a personal favorite, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Now, you don't have to know at this point what a fool is to know that doesn't sound really good, right? I don't want to be one of those. Now, when I say fool, just think for a second, what comes to your mind? What, what, what's, your, what's your image? What's your stereotype of the fool? As I said before, Susan and I uh, took a trip out west at a pastor's wives conference and retreat, and, but, but beforehand we started in Portland, and, which is a really cool place, and we sort of drove down the coast. But what, while we were in Portland, we were out exploring around the city which is, shall we say, a lot different than Tallahassee. And, and we came upon a very large group of bike riders, and, uh, which was nothing unusual. It would be something like you would see out in the parking lot, guys you know, wearing their little tight outfits, getting ready to go uh, draw, you know, ride um, in the afternoon up Centerville Road or something. But this group was unique because it was a bunch of dudes, and they all had their shirts off. So as we were driving and as we got closer, and how shall I say this diplomatically, we realized it wasn't just their shirts that were missing. Do you get what I'm saying? <laughs> Susan was like, are they wearing bodysuits? And I was like, I only wish they were wearing bodysuits. There were hundreds of buck-naked bicycle riders out there. And let's just be honest, guys, there's some things that you just can't unsee, okay? And, and, and Susan and I were just particularly traumatized and shocked for, for about half the day, and we were driving around in a daze, and we pulled up and asked this man, hey, dude, um, is this kind of what happens here? Is this how it rolls in Portland? And he was like, oh, you haven't seen anything. Just come back tonight, and there's thousands of people. It's one of the largest bicycle rides of these types. Let's just put it that way. And he's like, oh, yeah, those people are crazy. They're just, you know, they're a bunch of fools. Ah. And that's how a lot of us think about a fool, isn't it? It's something that is sort of a social embarrassment or a prankster 
or some sort of act of, of enormous stupidity. It's like one of your kids, you go on vacation and you realize they've been walking around barefooted in Waffle House and the rest area restroom because they didn't pack any shoes. You know, it's like, oh, he was so foolish for, or she was so foolish for not doing that. Let me just say right off, Proverbs takes foolishness a lot more seriously than that. Proverbs does not mention the fool and foolishness 71 times just for the heck of it. Consider some of the more ominous things that Proverbs has to say about the fool. And here we're shifting from vomit and she-cubs and souring a fool to something much, much more serious. Proverbs 132. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. Proverbs 10.8, the wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Proverbs 10.31, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. See, those are some serious things. If God's word is true, that, that this says some pretty, pretty profound things that have a real claim on our lives. See, see Solomon might, is actually saying something like, being a fool is worse than getting cancer. Being a fool is worse than having to bury your spouse. Students, being a fool is worse than not getting into the school you've always wanted to go to. Being a fool is worse than not having a boyfriend or girlfriend. Being a fool is a lot worse than not liking your job. See, you know, in, in the internet age, if, if any of us ever, this is what we do in the Gilbert household, if any of us ever suspects that we have an incurable disease, okay, where are we going? The interwebs, right? We're going to look it up. We're going to find out everything about it. Call the MD, help MD, call the eight doctors that are here. What's going on in our body? Something wrong, something's amiss. And, and, and all of us are that way to some degree. If we really felt like we had a life-threatening illness, medical illness in our bodies, we would do everything we could to get as much information as we could about that thing because we want to fix it. We want to address it. We don't, we don't want to die. We don't want to, to be sickly. We don't, you know, that's, that's, that's a human instinct. But yet I was studying this and talking to Susan yesterday, and this she made the point, and this was really good. How much time proportionally do we spend attempting to understand something that Solomon says is of eternal import? That has, that has ramifications not just for our bodies, but for our very souls, our very eternal future. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, up until recently, I hadn't done any sort of in-depth study, hadn't looked at this in, at, at, at any sort of, of depth that would lead me to begin to ask these questions and to plumb God's word for this. But I want us to do that over these next couple of weeks. And so, so here, here's our plan. We're going to spend the next couple of weeks looking at the fool in Proverbs. And this week, we're going to talk about foolishness defined. 
Next week, we're going to talk about foolishness dealt with. Now, now let me give a, a disclaimer here. When we start talking about foolishness defined and we unpack what is, what is the fool and what, what motivates him or her and how does this look and where do fools come from and all those things, a lot of you are immediately going to be like, yep, I know who you're talking about, Pastor Paul, him, okay, or her, or my child, or, and I'm going to say, resist that, resist that. We're, we're, there, there is an appropriate place to talk about how we are to love and engage those that the Bible calls fools, and we're going we're gonna to really unpack that next week. But this week, let me encourage us to do a lot of personal, spiritual inventory and to say, God, give me ears to hear. Give me eyes to see. And we want to unpack this not just from one specific text, which is what we typically do, but sort of a, a survey of the landscape. And so let's dive in. Foolishness defined, just one point. We can handle that, right? One point, foolishness defined. Now, as we, do, as we attempt to do this, I want you to think in your mind about a time that you did something incredibly foolish. What is, what is, the, what is one of the most foolish things that you have ever done? When I was at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, um, there, there, there's a famous site um, or famous landmark there on the campus called the Torchbearer. And a lot of, lot of universities, FSU has one of these, I think, but it, it, it's this statue of this Greek-looking man up on a really tall pedestal, and you have to kind of look up high, and, and, he's, and he's bearing in his arm a torch, it's called the eternal flame. I don't know what happens if they turn the gas off. But anyway, it's supposed to be the eternal flame, and you get your picture made there, and at graduation, and you know, it's, it's one of those revered landmarks on campus. And so I was in Campus Crusades, so because we weren't allowed to do anything really, really sinful, um, we decided, let's, go, let's do something mischievous, okay? Surely that will be a little bit better. So big group of guys and I, we decided that we were going to go down, and we were going we to climb, we climb up that, that torchbearer statue. And, and we were going to do it loaded down with coat hangers and really big hot dogs, okay? So our idea was, for some reason, we thought this is what Christians do to have fun. We're going to roast our hot dogs on, these, on this blue flame. And so in the middle of all this, you know, of course, the police show up, and, and after the customary, you know, we got him in the picture and gave him a hot dog as well, and he appreciated that. But little did we know as we were cooking these hot dogs and eating them by the bunches that these hot dogs we're soaking up all of the gas and the propane, okay, that was coming out of the torch. And we were just consuming and we just might as well put the propane tank like down our throat. But anyway, so we got back that night to our dorm and it was probably three or four hours later. And I kid you not, all within like a few minutes of each other, those hot dogs decided to take a one-way trip through our large intestines, okay? And we needed about a year's supply of Pepto to recover from that foolish, dumb thing that we did. Now, what is yours? What's the most foolish thing you've ever done? Likely, whatever you're thinking of or I'm thinking of is not necessarily what Solomon is talking about. Maybe it is. Foolishness is in a different category altogether. Look at Mark chapter 7. Listen, I want you to listen to the way Jesus talks about foolishness. And you've heard this passage before, but maybe you've never seen this. I hadn't. 
And he said, Jesus, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, now listen to all the terrible, awful things that come out of the heart of men, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, if you had enough, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and guess what? Foolishness. Guys, those are some heavy duty sins. That's like the murderer's row, no pun intended, of sins, is it not? And we have to ask, why in the world would Jesus put this little thing called foolishness on the list? You know, like doing dumb things and making mistakes and embarrassing ourselves and playing pranks. And it's because that's not the way God defines foolishness at all. See, we have to go back to God's Word and understand what Proverbs says about foolishness. See, the reason foolishness shows up on this list is because of what Proverbs says foolishness is. I'm going to take us back to a verse that Pastor Josh hit on a couple of weeks ago. Proverbs 1-7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. See, God is wisdom. And when we despise wisdom, we despise God. You see, foolishness is a, at its core, a deeply spiritual issue. You see, the fool is the one who has unfounded confidence in whom? Himself or herself. The fool prides himself on knowing best. The fool is just absolutely certain that he knows what is best for himself at all times and all places. He lives the way he wants. He does things on his own terms. He makes the rules of his life. And Solomon tells us that is a sure path to spiritual death. Look at Proverbs twelve fifteen. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. Fundamentally, the fool is someone who doesn't listen. Doesn't listen to parents, doesn't listen to teachers, doesn't listen to their spouse, doesn't listen to their kids, doesn't listen. But ultimately doesn't listen to God and his word. For a fool, the only glass ceiling in their life is their own mind and what they can conceive and understand and appropriate and plan for themselves. Have you ever had one of those discussions with someone? I call them the Marty McFly discussions, right? Where you just want to knock on their head and say, McFly, hello. You know, where where the more you talk, the harder they get. The more you raise their voice, the more the fingers maybe literally go in the ears. You could be talking, you could be saying, arguing about what color the sky is. And, and as in opposition to all evidence and all common sense, they could be saying it is this color when it is really this color. And it doesn't matter what you say, they are bound and determined. Have you ever been in one of those discussions? 
who's right, who's wrong. Don't do this, don't do that. Maybe parents, you've done this. You've begged and begged and begged and begged your kids not to do certain, certain thing. And it's like, or, or kids, you've begged and begged and begged your parents. It says certain things and no one hears, no one is listening despite all evidence to the contrary. Well, that's who Solomon is describing as the fool. Someone who is hardened, someone who is recalcitrant against the most obvious of things. You know, someone said the, the, de- the definition of, of insanity is, is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. It's like, that's the fool, No matter how many times you say, but this is not working. Your life is not working. What you're doing is not working. This is, can't you see the the fruit? It's, It's an almost inability to see life as it truly is. Now, what we have to ask, because we want to get below the surface here, is what would compel someone to not listen? What would compel someone to not listen, even when not listening is clearly to their undoing and their spiritual demise? What what would compel them? I think we can understand this a little bit by understanding what the word fool means that Solomon uses. So Solomon uses five different words in the Hebrew to describe the fool. And sometimes they all have little bits of nuances and depending on the context. And sometimes it's, it's one who's a scoffer, you know, one who, one who mocks authority. And, and it reminds me of, of the famous thing that Mark Twain said. You know, he said, when, you know, for the first 18 years of my life, I thought my dad was the stupidest man in the history of the world. Okay? He said, but I went off to college and I came back six months later and I was amazed at how much the man had learned. Okay? So, so I mean, like, so... so so sometimes it can mean like that. But if you want to boil it down to its nub, to its essence, this idea of fool, and I want to unpack what I mean when I say this, here's what we mean. The fool is one who has no moral humility. The fool is one who has no heart humility. In other words, their guide, their standard for what is right and wrong is nothing less than themselves, and they are very proud about it. They are, they are, they are very boastful about it. They are, by their life, they are declaring, I have no moral authority higher than, himself, than myself. The fool, and again, is one who has no heart or moral humidity. The fool is not one who can admit his brokenness. The one thing the fool cannot do is admit he's wrong or confess his sin or, 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 or be vulnerable or transparent. No, no, no. That would be letting things out of his control. That would be submitting himself to parameters or restraints or boundaries, and that cannot be. That cannot be. And so the fool maintains at all costs his moral footing, his moral authority. Because he cannot admit his weakness or desperation. How easy is it for you? And I'll be honest for myself. I just have a hard time innately admitting when I'm wrong. There's always 
some sort of context. Well, I responded this way because of this, 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 and this. Let me give you the 12 qualifiers of why I'm responding the way I'm responding right now. Or if you'd only done this, then I wouldn't have had to do this. See, that's what Solomon would call foolishness. Now, let me tell you what a difference in a sinner and a fool is. See, a Ultimately, all foolishness is, is steeped in sin. And, and ultimately, we are all sinners. But not every sinner is necessarily a fool. You see, sometimes we can sin out of ignorance. Sometimes we can sin out of lack of knowledge. Sometimes we can sin because of lack of maturity. When I think back to who I was as a husband 25 years ago when Susan and I first got married, I can't believe that I'm still here, okay? I, I mean, like, just when I think about just, the, fool, just, the, just the cluelessness level that I was operating on in terms of what it means to, to love someone and serve someone and put their needs above mine, but I wouldn't characterize my behavior as foolishness. I was just kind of your garden variety sinner, I needed to grow. I needed to mature. I needed to become less selfish. A fool, on the other hand, doesn't act in ignorance. See, a fool knows the truth. The fool has heard the truth. The fool may have grown up in church. The fool may be able to recite the shorter catechism. The fool may be able to come and listen and drop the kids off at Sunday school But ultimately, the fool is a fool because he believes he knows better. Because come Monday, see, it's time to live autonomously, independently. The fool's decisions are not shaped by walking before the face of God. The fool lives as if if God is an afterthought. So please understand this. Being a fool is is not about IQ. It's not about your educational level. Some of the most foolish people in the world are some of the most powerful people in the world. It doesn't have anything to do with how much knowledge you have. You see, Jesus provides us, in fact, a textbook example of the fool. Turn, turn over to Luke for a second, Luke chapter 12. This is a very familiar passage, and, and and I want to I read part of it and use it as a, as a jumping off point to, to do some application here. But you know the context, probably. The man's come up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. Okay, I, what's happening to me is not, is not fair. And so Jesus takes it as an opportunity to tell this parable. It's a parable about a rich man who built bigger barns to store all of his stuff that he had. And so let's pick this up in verse 18 of Luke 12. And Jesus said, I will do this. Or he's telling the story. The man says, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, what? Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? 
so it is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now, we have to ask a question here. Why is this man deemed a fool by Jesus? And let me tell you some reasons that I think he's, he's not a fool. I don't think he's a fool because he made some bad financial choices. I want to be careful here. I don't even think he's a fool because he built barns. Okay? I think the reason Jesus calls him a fool is that he is having a dialogue with himself and not with God. See, he has a dialogue with himself, and it makes perfect sense to him. Hey, I'm a young dude. I've got a lot of money. It's time to, to, to party hard. I'm going to build a bunch of barns. I'm going to store my stuff. Because what does he say to himself? Soul, this guy could be like everyday Jew, grows up in the temple, grows up worshiping God. This is no atheist. He just says, soul, you've got many years. See, that, that's what his internal dialogue is saying. In other words, I know best. I'm omnipotent. I'm, not, I'm omniscient. It doesn't say that, but I, I kind of make this presumption about what my life is going to look like, and I'm going to order my life accordingly. I know I have many years left. Forgetting that there is this other dialogue going, the one with God, who in his word says things like, life is a vapor. And sometimes, and James says, don't say today we're going to do, or tomorrow we're going to do this, this, and this thing. Say, you know, if it's God's will, let's do this thing. See, this man is having a conversation with himself. And as Paul Tripp said, and I love when he says this, the most influential person in your life is you because you talk to yourself more than anybody else does. The fool is having a one-way conversation with him or her self. I just like to think, what, what if this man had an internal dialogue with God? What would have happened? In other words, if this man had come to a place in his life and saying, God, I've got a ton and plenty, and what do you want me to do, God? I want to submit to your wisdom. I, I know my days are limited, so tell me, how, how do you want me to appropriate my time and my resources? God may have said, yeah, build your barns. You're just going to give it all away. Or maybe God said, I've got a legacy for you to impart to your children or to your church or to your friends. Maybe, maybe there's some kingdom building that I want you to do at this point in your life. Just think about how that would have changed the equation. But instead, this guy does some barn building. See, I... Let me just, let me say something. We're about 30 years old as a church, and we are a much more mature age-wise church than we were when we first started. And so we have a number of you folks who are thinking about, well, what's next? The kids are gone, or it's time to retire, or I've got more freedom and flexibility in my life. Can I encourage you, and I'm not your conscience, I'm not the Holy Spirit, but can I encourage you before you make your decisions to have a dialogue with God and to say, God, what do you 
want us to do? What do you want me to do? God, I, I, I'm, I mean, I'm 60 or 50 or 70 or whatever. How old, I, I don't know how long I have to live. I don't know how much long. I just know I want to build your kingdom. I want to be useful. I know that this life belongs to you. One day I'm going to have to account for it. So I don't want to like piddle this time away. God, what? tell me, give me your wisdom. And I don't know what the answer is going to be for you. But I do know that it starts with an internal dialogue between you and God. You see, everyone in here has an eternal dialogue going on. Everyone. The question is, whom is a part of the equation? Self to self will always lead you to and down the path of foolishness. You know, David, who was Solomon's father, you know, David is, Solomon is writing Proverbs probably to his son Rehoboam. And Rehoboam was to take over the reins of the kingdom. And of course, these Proverbs were to be passed down to God's people. And so we, but we, we must understand that Solomon certainly learned from his father, David. And David says an interesting thing in Psalm 14.1. He says this, he says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, when David says that, I don't know everything that is in David's mind as he writes that. But I do know who he was writing for. He was writing for people just like us. He was writing for these songs to be sung by the people of God. His principal audience was the believer in Yahweh. See, David, I don't think just has in mind your card-carrying atheist or the philosophy student down at FSU or, or, the, or the representative from the Freedom From Religion Society. No, no, no. I, I think David has something much broader and more specific in mind for us. See, there's such a thing as functional atheism, isn't there? See, the atheist, the, the, the true philosophical atheist says there is no God. The functional atheist, and we're going to call him the fool, doesn't necessarily say that God doesn't exist. He's just going to say God doesn't matter that much. He's just not that important. He's not the most decisive thing, the most important thing in my life. And understand Psalm 14.1, the fool, he's having a dialogue too. What does he say in his heart? Eh, doesn't matter. Got plenty of time to figure that out. Got plenty of time to be generous. Plenty of time to rearrange my life. Plenty of, plenty of time to prioritize my family. Plenty of time to get serious about God. Plenty of time to, to prioritize my church family. But Jesus says, that man is a fool. Now, you may say, Pastor Paul, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I feel like my life is littered with the debris of my foolishness. I can look on my life and say, I was a fool. Maybe some of you this morning, if we gave the opportunity, you would say, I am that man. I, I am that woman. I, in fact, I'm in, the, I'm in the middle of this chapter of foolishness in my life. What do we do? Because the hallmark of biblical faith, those who have true, saving, genuine faith in Jesus Christ, is not 
that they don't act foolishly. We do. You do. I do. It's just that the true Christian, the true believer, knows that they are foolish and they sincerely desire to change, to repent, to turn away from foolishness to Jesus Christ. Now, here, here, here's, a, here's, here's an amazing paradox. The one who recognizes that he is a fool, guess what? Isn't. But the one who doesn't recognize it is. That's the paradox of the fool. Because let me, let me encourage you, because I, I, I don't want us to blow past this. I don't want us just to trot out here and sing another song and be, and be gone for the week and kind of tuck that one nicely away. Let me encourage you personally not to blow past this part of Proverbs. But to really take this season, and the summer is is a different season. Sometimes it seems like it's busier. Sometimes we have more margin. But take some time to do soul inventory. Start by evaluating your own internal dialogue. What have you been telling your soul? What has your soul been telling you? Can Can I just gently suggest that you slow down just a little bit? Listen to what comes up. Take a prayer walk. Write in your journal. Talk it over with a friend. Talk it over with your spouse. Talk it over with your children. Here's a scary question. Honey, can, can you just maybe, you might have 10 areas, but how about one where you've just seen maybe just real foolishness on my part? Journal about it. Pray about it. Talk about it. Keep reading through Proverbs. Here's a little assignment for you. Go to 1 Kings chapter 12. See, that story's about Rehoboam, who is the the first recipient of these Proverbs. And read the tragic tale of how Rehoboam died the fool because he did not heed his father's instructions. He did not listen. Listen. But remember, the test of true faith is that we have a gracious God that even when we didn't listen, couldn't listen, he sent his son for us so that we might become wise and embrace the wisdom of God. Let's pray.